This is the Positive Psychology Podcast, episode 80, yeah! Welcome to the Positive Psychology Podcast, bringing your earbuds the science of the good life. And now, your host, Kristen Trumpy. All right, so we have Michelle Boller, as they say back there, <laughs> um, with us today. And the thing with Michelle is that I found her. I don't remember how. I don't remember where anymore, but I'm glad I did. And that was about a year ago. Now, back then, she was flooded with press. So I was like, I hope to, I get to speak to this girl, but I probably won't. I have to wait for like CNN and all the big guys to get out of the way. So I patiently waited for a year. And um, now I'm happy enough to happy and glad to have her with us. And the reason why I'm so excited is that Michelle did a project called 100 Days Without Fear. So Michelle, I'm going to leave, let you take it from here. Hello and welcome to the Positive Psychology Podcast. Could you please introduce yourself? Yes. Hi. Thank you for having me. And I'm glad you waited a year. Now I have more knowledge that I can share with you <laughs> than I did back then. <laughs> so, yeah, my name is Michelle Poller or Poller, however you want to say it. And I am originally from Venezuela. I moved to the States about 10 years ago to do my career in art direction, graphic design, but then I realized that my passion was branding, so that's when I decided to move to New York with my husband to do a master's in branding at the School of Visual Arts. But as I was doing that, something very interesting happened. We had an assignment where we had to do a 100-day project of our choice. So whatever we wanted to do, we had to do it for 100 days in a row. And living in New York made me realize that even though this was my dream city, I was not leaving my dream because I was constantly trying to stay in my comfort zone. And, you know, so I was saying no to so many things. And that's when I realized that I wanted to face all of my fears and use that project to do so. So starting on April 6th of last year, 2015, I started facing one fear a day for 100 days. And that's what got me all the virality and press around the project and around me. And I finished my project on October. It took me more than 100 days because the last few years took a long time to um, prepare. For example, my last year was speaking at TEDx, and that took me six weeks by itself just to get ready for that. So after that, I decided to quit my job. Actually, that was one of the fears. And then I didn't know what to do. So finally, after speaking at TEDx, I realized that I could speak as my career and make money out of that at the same time that I'm doing what I'm passionate about, which is inspiring audiences with my story. So that's what I'm doing right now. And I couldn't be more excited and happy about it. Yeah, thanks very much. Did it? I, I, I don't know, like, have other people asked you about this? I wonder, like, for me, I found it almost a little bit ironic that you went to New York to face your fears. And I mean, I know that South America is not like, oh, my God, it's it's, you know, this gangster place. I, I don't but but I mean, Venezuela can be a little bit scary, you know, so I was a bit surprised that you had to go to New York 
is that just a foreign ignorant perception or is there a little bit of iron irony in there like there is a lot of irony in that and you're completely right actually uh, Venezuela is extremely scary right now like I I could not even go there if I wanted because it's so so dangerous so for example um, when I was living there uh, since the day I was born until I turned 19 and that's when I moved to the States so when I was living there I was living a very sheltered life because otherwise you could get kidnapped killed robbed so in order to avoid that you had to stay within um, you know things that the places that you know the people that you know so I couldn't much, like face fears or anything I just had to um, you know, stay alive by being in my house, uh, being in my car, not driving at night, surround myself with only people that I know, always be in big groups. So if you want to face a fear when you're living there, then you're risking your life. You're not only, um, you know, challenging yourself, but you're putting yourself in a very dangerous situation and you don't want to do that. So many of the things that I did in New York, I could never do in Venezuela. There, I would not even walk somewhere. I always would go in my car because it's dangerous to be walking in the street. Here, I walked in the street wearing a bikini and did all sorts of crazy things in the street, um, like going to a bar by myself. These are things you cannot do when you're in Venezuela. You would be risking your life. And the project was never about defying death in any way. It was always about enjoying life to the fullest. And I think that one of the reasons why I'm so scared about everything is because I come from a country where, you know, doing normal things is scary, like driving at night, and etc. So when I arrived to New York, I kept those fears. So if my friends after school, we're going to go have a drink, I would say no, because I would rather go home early, because I felt, uh, you know, in danger if I stayed by myself outside. So that's why I decided to challenge myself and start saying yes to things that I would normally say no to. So you already touched upon a few fears that you tackled. Um, can you talk about some more? Some some were really scary, and some like meditation. I didn't quite get where you what 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 were you afraid of with meditation, for example? So what I realized is that I'm doing this project to overcome my fears and you know have more confidence in myself. So when I realized that, I, I thought, well, you know what? I'm not only going to just face fears, which is more like a shock. Um, what's the word, therapy, yeah, like shock therapy, just going there and facing a fear straight on. But I can also do challenges that I would never consider that can help me in some way, you know, gain confidence in myself or help me face fears in the future. And meditating is not something I was scared about. It's something I just never considered. And I thought, well, maybe if I try this, then I can use this in my next challenge when I'm facing a fear. As the same uh, way that I did self-defense class so that's not like I was afraid of doing taking a self-defense class I just thought it was a challenge that could help me feel more confident about myself when facing next fears so did that work out for you these these strategic decisions to learn a couple of key skills to face your fears 
I think they did. Uh, also, they were outside of my comfort zone, and that's um, another principle of this project. So just go outside of your comfort zone, even though they're not extremely scary. It's just things I wouldn't do because I'm comfortable not doing them. So um, all of these things made me realize how awesome it is when you push yourself to go outside of your comfort zone, try different things. Some of them will work out. Some of them won't. For example, I even tried um, hypnotizing. Like I, I went to a place where someone hypnotized me. Um, that was sort of a fear, but also it was going to help me with future fears. And it did. It really did. How did it do that? I'm curious. So it was really interesting because I actually went to my session not to overcome a fear. I went there because um, what I mean is I don't. I was not looking for them to help me overcome fear. I wanted them to help me stop touching my hair, which is something I'm doing as I speak right now. So um, that I, they didn't help with that by hypnotizing me. But in the beginning of the session, they asked me, what are some of the things that are bothering you in your life? And I started to open up and talk about things that were bothering me. And these were other fears that I had. So for example, fear of disappointing my my team at school because I was so focused on facing fears that I was leaving behind, um, you know, my projects and things that I had to do for school. So those were other kinds of fears. And after that session, this person hypnotized me and I didn't feel that fear anymore. I was feeling, you know, this guilt syndrome that I was not feeling after the session. So I don't know, it really helped. Oh, that's nice to hear. So when did you start noticing changes inside of you? You know, around like, can you do you remember a day when you started to feel like lastingly different? Or was it just? Um, how did that feel? Or was it just really depending on what kind of challenge you had set yourself for the day how you felt? So every day I would face something that is very different, but at the end I would have this a similar kind of feeling. I have a really hard time feeling proud of myself in a way that I accomplish something and I'm ready to move on to the next thing. I don't give myself like credit in a way that I celebrate my accomplishments. So um, so every time I would face a fear, people would ask me, "Are you like so proud of yourself?" And I'm like okay, I did it. It's something I never thought I would do. It's okay. I have a hard time feeling proud of myself in that way. But there's one particular feeling that was always there after each fear that I faced. And it's the thought of, wow, this was not as bad as I thought. In many cases, I would not even think that because I would think, wow, this is awesome. But in the cases where I faced the fear and I was expecting it to, to not like me or be really bad. I always thought, okay, this was not as bad. And that little by little helped me build my confidence. So I don't think it was one specific day that I thought, whoa, this changed me. Now I'm a different person. But it was something that it was building very little um, inside of me. So every time I would face a fear, I would say, well, this, okay, I, maybe I didn't like this, but it wasn't as bad. I could do it again. So all of these things... I could do them again. And they, these were things I never in my life thought I would do. And it's funny when people approach me and they say, I would never do so many things of those that you faced. And I said, no, I was that person. I would say I would never do those things. And I did them. So if I did them, I feel everybody can do them. Yeah. 
So in your in your TED talk, you said that you realized that they were not hundred fears, basically, but you found a couple of categories. Can you talk about that? What kind of fear categories you found? Yes. So what I realized is that what I felt when I was doing the challenge is that some of the fears were repeating were repeating themselves. So, for example, when I try acupuncture felt a very similar fear as when I got a piercing and when I got a Brazilian wax. It was the same feeling that, oh my God, something painful is coming and I don't want to face this. And then I felt the same uh, towards other kinds of fears. For example, whenever I did stand-up comedy, felt a very similar fear as the time that I danced like no one's watching or the time that I uh, did karaoke. And they were feeling extremely similar to each other, even though there were different challenges. So I started to make a list of fears. And, like I, I grabbed all of my lists and started to put them together and say, you know, this and this felt very similar. This and, this, and then try to come up with a name for each one of these categories. And the categories were loneliness, control, embarrassment, rejection, pain, danger, disgust, so those are seven kinds of core fears. And I realized that I don't have 100 fears. I only had these seven core fears, but you could face them in infinite ways. So this would have been very helpful at the beginning when I was trying to come up with ideas because I was just out of you know the blue trying to come up with, oh, maybe I'm afraid of this or that or that. But if I thought maybe control how can i face control in different ways then it would have been easy for me to find challenges that would fit into these categories right so did you find that you use different ways of coping with those fears because i would imagine it's a very different thing to eat something disgusting than to i think you contemplated the death of your parents if I saw that correctly so so for me that sounds like some two very different things like did you build build like a toolbox how to deal with different fears and if so how did that match with the categories that you just described yes so I realized that we have physical fears and emotional fears and there are many uh, way different ways to go about these two complete different categories. So for example, um, the what I call physical fears are fears that maybe you can face in a, in a matter of seconds. So it's when you decide to jump from a cliff, from a plane, you know, get on a roller coaster, eat something spicy. These are all very physical things that you can do when you say three, two, one, do it and you go for it. But the emotional fears, they take time. And sometimes just by facing it once or twice, you're not really overcoming that fear and you have to keep building into it. So um, th those are two things that I realized as I was doing the project. And But at the end, I feel like the one question that helps me overcome my fears, either physical or emotional, are when I ask myself, what's the best that could happen? So when I start to think about the positive results that could come out of me doing this experience, then I have the courage 
to go for it and face these fears. Because what we do is we always ask ourselves, even like maybe it's um, conscious or unconscious, we ask ourselves, what's the worst that could happen? And we start to think about the worst things that could happen and the bad, the worst case scenarios, you know. So um, I, I started to change the question around. And that's something that we do without even noticing, we immediately think of the worst case scenarios. So when you train yourself to think about the best case scenario in every situation, then um, that will really give, like, trigger you to go for it and pursue that fear. I'm, I'm thinking back to a time when I, I was terrified of karaoke, for example, mm-hmm. and now I love it. Like now I, I'm happily the first person to do it. Well, and there are other things which I suspect map onto more emotional fears that, yeah, you kind of, you continue struggling with. And, and I'm interested in what you think about, because you talked about putting work into it, right? You said some things, one, two, three, go. Um, yeah. but, but we're more interested in the things that take a little bit longer. What kind of work do you put into something? And also what's your goal? Like, is it your goal and your expectation that you can turn something around and love it? Or is it just, all right, let's just not be freaked out about it anymore? So I think that the goal is to be a little bit more comfortable doing certain things. So for example, I have a fear now of, not now, but a long time fear of approaching strangers and breaking the ice and starting conversations. That's something that you would not ever see me doing unless someone approaches me I'm really excited to speak to anyone and and start a conversation but I wouldn't start it myself even though if I'm dying to do it like if I'm in a restaurant in front of someone that I don't know and I want to ask them something about their meal like what are you eating that looks delicious I would not even say that because I'm too afraid so what I've been doing is trying to challenge myself little by little to do these things and I realized that the outcome is always very positive So I'm still afraid of it, but I'm going to keep trying. For example, next I'm going to do a video this week, actually tomorrow. I'm recording a video where I'll be doing uh, acts of kindness to random people in the street and record myself doing that. And it's just a way to challenge me in this area. Yeah. Oh, good luck with that one. I've done that before. Yeah, It's it's a very interesting day. Let's put it that way. Mostly in New York, where people are very self-centered and not expecting anyone to approach them. You'd be surprised, though. I mean, I, I, I don't know what, what it was, but when I, when I lived in New York, I also heard all these things like, oh, New Yorkers are so unfriendly and they're self-centered and they don't want to. But like, they kept talking to me all the time. <laughs> and and I think it was just because I was just so ridiculously in love with the place that that like yeah, I don't know like I think probably if you just had like the biggest smile a lot of the time and people would just come and and it's not like you know like it's not not that they were hitting on me or anything but yeah. people just start talking about anything so you know I, I just I would want to encourage you a bit like yes they they pretend they're like all this tough stuff but they're not always like that let's just say. <laughs> here I'll let you know how that goes oh yeah please do um for, for me for me I I once yeah I, I once did that uh it was a very busy day let's just say that <laughs> um so 
you have literally inspired millions of people to to think about their relationship to fear and to take on their fears. So what have you learned from people's feedback about your project? So it's funny because when I get to a place and I'm going to speak about fear, uh, some people approach me and they say, well, you know what? I don't know. I don't think I have fears. And they say, I look at what the things that you did and I would do all of them without a problem. I don't have fears. So I've heard that comment a lot but then I speak and afterwards the same people approach me and say wow I actually never thought about fear in that way I guess I do have fears and I guess I should uh, take care of that and start you know dealing with my fears and seeing how um, I can overcome them in some way because what I say most of the time is that Fears are things that are limiting us in so many ways, and it's because we want to fulfill certain needs. And you must be very familiar with Maslow theory of yeah. needs, yeah. And how what I, I started to to see is that our needs, yeah, they don't only motivate us, but they limit us in so many ways. So in order for people to feel loved and that they belong, they limit their authenticity. They limit so many things and that frustrates me to see now that I've been very aware of human behavior, you know, the behavior of people around me. So that's one thing that I guess people understand after seeing my talk, that fear is not only, oh, jumping from a plane or, you know, facing or being honest or something, but it's the way that we're limiting ourselves and we're coming up with excuses you know, to not do certain things when, in fact, we're just afraid of them and we're creating these excuses to, um, you know, hide behind our fears. Right. So what's your relationship with fear now? What would you say? Where are you right now? So right now I came to this tool that it all happened when my husband was about to quit his job and we were trying to decide whether he should do that or not because um, he, he had a very stable job here in New York and that was, you know, paying our rent and everything. But when the speaking business started to take off and and I was starting to, you know, be invited to speak at places and that was going to be covering our life if we wanted to, then he decided he was going to quit his job and join me full time on helping me with this business because I, of course, needed his help. And and we realized that we were in between two options. He could stay in his job and then we'll be um, responding to our need of stability or he could leave his job and then we would be trying to fulfill our need for independence, which is what we really wanted. So I read this quote from Maslow, which is, you will either step forward into growth or you will step back into safety. So we understood that our stability was our safety and was keeping us and holding us back from our dream and our goal, which was independence. And that was our growth path. So in that moment, we realized the importance of choosing the growth path over the safety path. Because as Maslow say, um, our safety path will only take us back, not only make us stay where we are, but take us back and, and, and further apart from our goal and our dream. So we decided to go with the growth path. And until this day, that was in July. 
So we are almost in November. We are so happy. Every day of his life, he says, thank God I made the, the decision of choosing the growth path, leaving my job and supporting you on this. Now we're traveling the world. We are able to support ourselves. We haven't found that perfect stability, the one that you have when you have your job, but we have the confidence that we will get there. So my relationship with fear now is always identifying the growth path and choosing that despite the fear it may bring. To give you an example, just yesterday, um, a brand contacted me and said that they wanted to use me for one of their commercials, but I had to go on a roller coaster. And I faced this fear for my 100-day project, the roller coaster fear, and I hated it, and I said I was never going to do it again unless I really had to. So I was about to turn down the offer from a brand, and this is a renowned brand that, you know, it was uh, actually an honor to be contacted by them. I was about to say no just because I was scared of doing the roller coaster again. And then I said, which one is the growth path? And then I said, okay, so going on a roller coaster and doing this, that's a growth path. This can take me further. So I decided to say yes because I identified that as the path that was going to take me forward. I love this way of thinking about fear in terms of needs and growth. So thanks for introducing us. So um, you started a project called Hello Fears. Yes. What is that about? So when I was doing my project, I realized that I was uh, helping a lot of people just by showing them how I faced my fear in a very vulnerable way. So many more people started to ask me to do certain challenges, and most of them, or some of them, I was not even afraid to do. So I couldn't just face a fear that I'm not scared, then that wouldn't be facing a fear, right? If you love dogs and I tell you, oh, can you face a fear of being with dogs, then that's not a fear for you. (laughs) So people were saying things like, can you face a fear of heights or crowd spaces or tight spaces? And I don't have those fears, but I figured if I don't have them, then other people, I'm sure they have them. And I'm sure some of those people would face those fears and they can share their stories and inspire these people that are craving to hear the stories of someone else that was scared of this and did it anyways. So that's when I decided to create the publication hellofears.com where people send me their stories of, of courage, how I call them, and I upload them so other people can read about them. And the idea is to have thousands and thousands of stories there. So when you're about to face a fear, you can go to a platform and search for that specific thing you will do and then read all the stories um, you know, of people that face that same fear and you can find the one you can relate to because maybe there's an 80-year-old guy who faced the fear that you have and you can't relate to his background or, the, or that person but someone else will relate to you. So the idea is, yeah, to have the same fears even repeat themselves over and over again so you can read all different stories from all different people and then find the ones you can identify with and give you the courage to do it. Nice, nice. So where can people find out about you and your work? So, well, you can subscribe to my YouTube channel, which is Hello Fears, where I'm doing weekly videos on inspiration, uh, where I talk about different topics of everyday life and in relation to fear. And I'm going to start a new series next month that is going to be something around um, 
advice to my younger self. So things that I would just say to younger Michelle. And you can go to 100dayswithoutfear.com to see all the 100 videos and have a lot of fun doing that. And also you can learn about other people's stories of courage by going to hellofears.com. And then on social media, I'm as hellofears everywhere. Okay. Thank you very much, Michelle. It was very, very nice having you here. No, thank you. This was great. All right. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Michelle. And I hope that she could inspire you to rethink your relationship with fear. Now something completely differently. Now this is for the UK listeners. And if you're not from the UK, don't run just yet. I have a little um, excerpt for you that I want to share. But first... For all the UK listeners and people who are close to the UK, for example, Ireland, well, all right. When I started, the first day I joined MAP, I spotted this, like, silver-haired, sparkly, grinning, but, like, wizened lady, and I just looked at her and I was like, I'm sure I'm going to get along with her. Like, I I, I just knew it. Well, all right. So fast forward a bit. um, Danielle and me obviously became friends. And I like half jokingly, but actually seriously referred to her as my mentor because she's been a psychologist her whole life. And she just revamped everything. Once she discovered positive psychology, she did her master's. And because she was so into it, the master's was not enough. She started at some point, she started doing the PhD alongside. I mean, she was just kicking everybody's butt. And I love that because some of the like, you know, like some of the 27 year old people were like, well, I'm not sure if I'm like, uh, if I'm not too old to make such a big change in my life. <laughs> and there, there is this lady who is uh, sufficient to say not 27 and, and just kicking everybody's butt. And, and I just love that. And now what she's doing is she's offering a certified positive psychology program in the UK in 2017. And I honest to God, don't have, you know, I don't think there are that many people in this world. Like, I even think like, if you go to the famed Martin Seligman, you, I, I think you're in better hands with Daniela now. I hope he does never hear, hears this, obviously. But like, seriously, like, I think she does an awesome job. And I know that because I've taken her courses myself. It's not just that I assume she's good. Um, I've been in, um, taking courses at her institute and she is just, she just has so much drive. It's, it's unbelievable. I'm just sitting there like, wait, what? So if you thought, well, I want to really get to the bottom of positive psychology, but I don't have the resources to do a master's. And also I, I want to use it as a coach or as a leader, as a change maker, as whatever it is that you do. I can really recommend taking her class. So if you want to find out more about her, I created a special link just for her. And um, it's my usual website, strengthsphoenix.com slash Daniela with one L. So D-A-N-I-E-L-A. That's it. Check it out if you're in the UK. Even if you don't want to take it right now, just have a look. And just because she really gives you a great overview of what positive psychology is and why it's helpful. And if you ever need arguments to talk to someone, she's also the right person. All right. So my 
audiobook is out. Yeah, it's out. I decided to release it early because I just couldn't sit on it any longer. I just got too excited. I'm like, you know what? I just, I just want it out for the world. And um, I'll play you a little excerpt of it so you can check it out. And you can find it at strengthsphoenix.com slash shop. Enjoy. Day five. One reason why it feels like the world is fixed and reality is inevitable is that we're constantly told that we only have two options, right or wrong. We're taught that there's an objective truth out there that needs to be uncovered the way that scientists uncovered the laws of gravity and motion. This belief gets us into a lot of trouble because if we buy into it and have already discovered a coherent view of the world, there is no space for anything more helpful and hopeful. Today, I want you to think about what would happen if two opposing statements could be equally true. As an example, I genuinely believe that both you and me are full of wisdom and unarticulated splendor that is only waiting to be expressed in the world. Simultaneously, with all due respect, I think that both of us are completely full of shit and hold on to harming thoughts and beliefs way longer than makes any sense. Think about it. Other people are wrong about things all the time. What are the odds that this is not true about ourselves sometimes as well? Now this truth can be interpreted in many different ways. Two are as follows. See? I'm full of shit, I'm worthless, I might as well stop trying. Or, wow, this is freeing. If I'm not right 100% of the time, chances are that some of the self-harming ideas and patterns I have are not true at all. Now, if you are new to treating opposing thoughts as equally true, you might be a bit confused. If two completely opposite things are true, how do I know what thought to believe in in the moment? I like the deciding factor of helpfulness. How helpful is it to hold on to this explanation or thing? What are the consequences if I keep doing this? Personally, I have found that assuming the best, or at least not the worst, works pretty well in about 90% of the cases. Exceptions are if somebody has repeatedly screwed you over or something is actually dangerous, then it makes sense to keep your guard up. Hurdle. Today, the hurdle we want to address is that observing your thoughts is hard. Unless you are either a meditator or otherwise trained to pay attention to what is happening in your mind, this is a challenging part of our journey on getting our brain thoroughly washed and rewired. Antidote. The antidote that I would like to offer you today is to use the emotion of pride. We are often discouraged to feel pride because we fear we could somehow become too full of ourselves and turn everyone away. Yet there is a wide spectrum between harnessing the emotion of pride and becoming a narcissistic jerk. Pride actually acts as a motivator and it helps us to do more of what is good for us and others. What I have observed is that people afraid of pride often use fake humbleness in the hope that others will give them the recognition they deny themselves. That is way more taxing on your environment because you need others to fill a void and if they don't, you will feel bad. 
it's much better to develop a healthy pride that you started at all. After all, the path of the majority is to keep complaining about stress, anxiety, or to quietly suffer, but then shy away from any effort to change those things. So you can rightly be proud of having the sense to do something about the negativity in your life and actually following through with the exercises. Considering that most people don't finish most books, you're doing well. So you should high five and pat yourself on the shoulder every time you do your exercises or catch any of the thinking patterns in action. How was investigating your levels of self-kindness and compassion? If we could flip on a recording device and capture how you talk to yourself in your brain, how would I, Kristen, respond to what's on that tape? Would I be happy to hear the kindness or would I squeeze your hand and tell you that I recognize that voice because I once had it too? The habit tip of the day is to listen to this audiobook and do the exercises in the same spot each day. Let's say you commute to work on the subway. You can build an association in your head by saying the word brainwash every time you see or hear a subway. That is some real brainwashing action for you right there. That way, your mind will link subways with this audiobook and you will more easily remember to listen and do your exercises. Oh, and don't do this when you see a place you hate. Otherwise, those bad feelings might get associated with brainwash, and we don't want that. Summary. All right, so let's recap what we talked about today. Practice seeing the world in more color. Rather than black or white objective truths, today you will focus on how opposing ideas can be equally true. This will not cause you to fall down the hole of meaningless relativism. Rather, it will help you evaluate information in the light of how helpful is this to me right now. We talked about the hurdle of being able to look at our thoughts and recognize what is going on in the moment. The antidote was to pat yourself on the back and feel proud every time you succeed in following through with an exercise, even if it's just once a day. The habit tip advised you to link the word brainwash to some place you pass or spend time at frequently, like a subway, in order to create triggers that will help you remember. Tomorrow, we will learn how to do reality checks. Alright, I hope you enjoyed that little preview, and if it got you curious, either for yourself or if you think someone who you know might benefit from a brainwash, check it out at strengthsphoenix.com slash shop. strengthsphoenix.com slash shop. All right, have a good week, have a good day, and until our next date in your earbuds, bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Positive Psychology Podcast. We're saying goodbye with Happy Yogurt.